Welcome to a Pain in the Glass podcast. This is your host, Jacob T., coming to you from the ancestral territory of St- the Stony Point and Kettle First Nations in Grand and Ontario, Canada. A Pain in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone in Kamoka, Ontario. In today's 25th episode, my brother Lucas will will be asking our gravity how he produces an episode of A Pain in the Glass podcast. Gravity and Lucas, the microphone is all yours. Grandpa T, what materials do you need for a podcast? Well, interestingly enough, the equipment is relatively basic. Uh, As we sit here, uh, we're at my computer, my laptop computer, and I have earphones and a microphone. Now, the key ingredient here is the microphone. You want to buy the best microphone that money can buy. And the good part is really good microphones are not very expensive. But I've seen it done with an iPad. You can actually do it with with a smartphone. So uh, the computer part is really kind of optional. Where do you start and record a podcast? Well, of course, it starts with an idea. And as you and your brother uh, questioned me in episode number one, the whole idea for this podcast was to update articles from my coaching manual, A Pain in the Glass, A Coach's Companion, and articles from my blog site, uh, True North Bill, blogspot.com. That's how the whole idea started. So to start an episode, I have to make the decision if it's going to be what I refer to as a standalone episode, where I'm going to be the only one that's going to be speaking, or if I'm going to do an interview. So we'll start with the whole interview idea. So if I choose to interview Lucas Shearhart, my friend Lucas Shearhart, and we're not in the same place, which we of course are right now, I would do it through Zoom. And it's, it's interesting because when we record an interview on Zoom, a Zoom is really quite amazing because when the interview is over and I uh, sign off on the interview, it automatically changes it into an MP4 format. Now, I learned the difference between an MP4 format and an MP3 format. So if it's from a Zoom session, my next step is to take that Zoom session, which actually is sound and uh, and sight, and I, I use a program called Switch. So I change the MP4 format, which is what a Zoom session is, I change it to an MP3 format. Now, if I'm doing a standalone version, I'm sitting at my computer as I am now, and the software that I use is called Audacity. The two most popular software are GarageBand and Audacity. And the interesting part is they're both free software. If you have an Apple product, you already have GarageBand, but 
I chose to go with Audacity uh, because there was more information about Audacity. And once I have it, my audio track on Audacity, then the fun starts because after I record, I then do some editing. Hey, Grandpa, what do you do in the editing process? Well, that's where I tend to clean things up a little bit. So all the ums and ahs, and if there is a mistake, if somebody sneezes or coughs, then I can cut those sounds out. Uh, it's really to kind of polish the finished product. Um, but I like the editing process because it gives me a chance to hear the, uh, the content, hear the audio file one more time. But again, it depends if it's a standalone episode or if I've done it through Zoom. Yeah. So it's almost like you're making the video or audio better. Yeah, I'm polishing it. As I said, I take out the ums and the ahs. People don't realize how many times when they're answering a question, especially, that while they're thinking, instead of just pausing and thinking, we usually start the thinking process with, um, and it's amazing how many ums I edit out. So instead of deleting stuff, are you able to bring stuff back or put new stuff in? Well, that is a really good question because most of the time I was editing out, but there were some times when I wanted to insert a new sentence or paragraph and I had to kind of learn how to do that and as far as the learning curve is concerned it took me about a month to learn how to use Audacity. I did an awful lot of test audio files and worked with them to try to find out how all the tools that are provided on, on Audacity but the last thing I learned was exactly that question. I learned how to take an audio file, split it, and then put something in that I wanted to either change or do better. That's a really good question, Lucas. How many ways can somebody learn to use Audacity or GarageBand? Thank you for that question. And the answer is really quite simple. Enter YouTube. There's a lot of really good videos out there on both GarageBand as well as Audacity. And trust me, I think I saw them all because there was no manual for Audacity, but the videos on YouTube were excellent. So Grandpa, now that you've done all the editing, how do you publish the audio? I have to export the audio that I have polished and I've been happy with and I export it, it has to be an MP3 file because it's not, it's just audio. MP4 files are audio as well as visual, as I said. So the Zoom files, I mean, no, I'm repeating myself, but the Zoom files were MP4. So we had to change that to MP3 in order to do everything that we've just talked about. But now when I want to publish it, I have to export it as an MP3 file. So once you've published it, where does it go? Well, it goes to your podcast provider. There's all sorts of podcast providers out there. Uh, that's why I have a sponsor, because there is a monthly fee. It's not, it's not huge. 
but my podcast provider is called Buzzsprout. And so I export it to Buzzsprout. Well, once you've given it to Buzzsprout, what does it do with the published audio? Buzzsprout will do the last publishing, or last, I'm sorry, the last bit of polishing to make sure that the sound levels are all appropriate. Um, and then it goes to platforms. And in my case, it's either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Google. And Buzzsprout and any other, I think, uh, podcast provider provides me with unbelievable feedback. I, I know how many times each episode has been downloaded. Not only that, it will tell me where it was downloaded, what city it was downloaded. And it's really kind of fun for me to know that people are listening to a pain in the glass, a podcast, almost all over the world. And as the audience grows, it makes it more fun for me. Once it's been published and it goes everywhere, how are people able to find it on the internet? Well, every every podcast has um, a website address. Mine is https uh, colon double backslash a pain in the glass podcast dot buzzsprout dot com. But you go to those platforms that I've mentioned, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon Music, Spotify, to find a pain in the glass podcast. Also, if I'm ready to publish, I go on to Facebook to two groups one is curling instructors. After all, that's what this is all about. And Curling America, because there's an awful lot of instructors and, and, uh, and coaches in the U.S. So I try to uh, let people who are part of those two groups become aware that there is a, a new episode. Are your videos monetized like on YouTube? No, uh, I am not in this to make any money whatsoever. In fact, it costs a few dollars. And again, I'm very grateful to the folks at Canada Curling Stone. They pay that monthly fee that I pay to Buzzsprout in order to do the final polishing and that sort of thing. So no, there's no monetization of a pain in the glass podcast, but that's a really good question. So now that we're at the end of the curling season, do you plan to create more episodes for the podcast during the summer months? Well, actually, I do. I have about 10 podcasts or 10 episodes all ready to go. And I'm, they're going to be spaced out a little bit more in the summer. Uh, but no, I'm going to keep uh, going right through the summer. Could you give a hint to us and our listeners about the next guests coming on the show? Well, before I talk about people that I've asked to join with me for some episodes, I want to say thank you to the folks that I have asked to share the microphone with me. These people have done a tremendous job, and I, I will be calling them out by name at some point, but they are absolute experts in their field, and the feedback that I've received from curlers and instructors and coaches has been my favorite phrase, off the charts. Uh, I am excited about the fact that uh, when I was in Switzerland at the World Senior Curling Championships, I just happened to ride the bus back to the hotel with Katherine Henderson, 
who is the CEO for Curling Canada. We had a great chat. And then we were on the same flight from Zurich back to Toronto. So we, we talked a lot about, as you can imagine, curling in Canada. And then I asked her, would she come on my podcast and do an interview with me? And she said she would. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So that's, that's one person. But there are others, but I'll keep those as a surprise. I know that you have you let people send you emails about past episodes and ideas for new episodes. How often is that happening? Well, not often enough, and I, I really do want to invite people to do that because this is not about me. I want these episodes to uh, talk about concerns that instructors and coaches and athletes have, and the only way that I can ascertain that is if they put fingers to keyboard and send their comments or suggestions to Coach Bill at hey.net. That's Coach Bill at hey.net. It's Jacob T. thanking you for tuning in on your compatible device to listen to a pain in the glass podcast 25th episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. I would like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Canada Curlingstone. Until next time, stay safe and have happy curling thoughts. Well, I hope you enjoyed our 25th episode of A Pain in the Glass podcast. The whole idea of what has become the anatomy of a podcast was the idea of my grandsons. And since it was their idea, and given how popular they were in episode number one, I felt it only appropriate that they participate this time as well. Uh, there were a number of people uh, who came to me through emails and various uh, means of communication when I mentioned what the 25th episode was going to be like and that the boys were going to participate, said that they were eagerly anticipating listening to episode 25. So there it was, and I hope you found it interesting as well as enjoyable. Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend for our friends south of the border and I think the entire world is, as far as memorizing or memorializing, if I can use that term, what's been happening of late in specifically uh, the state of New York and Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, uh, with what could only be described as un unthinkable and unimaginable tragedies. And the the... The worst part is it seems so avoidable. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of this, heaven forbid, but my goodness, uh, for an 18-year-old to walk into a store, not just to buy a firearm, but a firearm designed for one purpose, one purpose only, and that's to kill people, and legally, I'm doing air quotes here, purchase that weapon twice and the ammunition that goes with it, with nothing in the system to red flag it, um, that's just wrong. And of course, we all think about those parents. And you know, with you know, my my grandsons could have been in that school. So it especially touches those of us who have children, grandchildren. So that's all I'm going to say. But there's a solution here, folks. Come on, we got to do this. Okay. 
In this uh, episode, we referred to people's, uh, the invitation at least on my part, for people to send me emails uh, questioning uh, some of the topics or asking for clarification, making comments, and indeed that has occurred. And so I thought to finish off this episode, which was relatively short, we have some time here, so I'd like to share some of the emails that I received. The first one comes from my friend, Eugene Ritzik in Saskatchewan, and here's what Eugene had to say. I enjoyed your podcast with Dean Kleider on the topic of on-ice coaching, as I do all your podcasts. Keep up the good work, Bill. Well, thanks, Eugene. There are two issues you discussed in your podcast with Dean about on-ice coaching that I think need further clarification. The notion of on-ice coaching disrupting the flow of the game is just simply not valid. It is actually the opposite. Often young curlers, because of a lack of experience, become perplexed and at times frustrated because of strategy situations about which they are not very comfortable and sure what to do. Normally, they would have to sweat their way through it. But with on-ice coaching, a coach can intervene when he or she sees this happening and quickly assist the team through their dilemma. Instead of an extended stall in the game, there is a small blip and the flow continues. So in reality, on-ice coaching augments the flow of the game instead of hampering it. Also, the notion of on-ice coaching causing the game to take longer is unfounded. As Dean pointed out, that games actually were finishing with more time left on the clocks than expected. The reason being is that instead of the curlers being caught up in a situation that they are unsure of and spending extended time pondering about it, the on-ice coach can quickly help them work their way through it. Consequently, less time is spent to resolve unsure strategy situations in a curling game, and the games move on more quickly. My hat off to all the Saskatchewan curling people that were involved in implementing this program. I think on-ice coaching should be a part of every level of curling. This next email comes to us uh, from south of the border in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Been to Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Love Rice Lake, Wisconsin. It's from Karen Dundor. Hi, Bill. I think on-ice coaching is a terrific idea. It really resonated with me when you mentioned in the podcast the coaches sort of writhing in agony behind a pane in the glass. I remember one of my first times coaching. I had to literally sit on my hands because I wanted so desperately to help but wasn't allowed to do so. I also had to forbid my very young curlers from looking through the pane in the glass and attempting to communicate with me even if it was simply to celebrate a good shot, because I didn't want them forming a habit. I said, I can't help you. The only people who can help you are those wearing the same uniform, your teammates, so celebrate with them. But they wanted the praise and feedback of their coach. This is especially true of young curlers. I think, especially at the developmental level, pace of play would speed up with coach interaction. I've watched young skips freeze over a decision and take forever to eventually call a really bad shot. 
It is part of that learning experience that they will see things in a game against teams we haven't played before, on new ice, and in exciting situations that they don't know how to deal with. We can accelerate that curling, sorry, that learning by coaching through it instead of back to it. I am tremendously excited to implement this in our spiels. Thank you for all you do for curlers and coaches. And that was from Karen Dundor in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. A short email from Michael Beausoleil, obviously from La Belle Provence, in, uh, meaning Quebec, of course. And here's what Michael has to say. It's the best thing that has happened to junior curling since the straw brooms got put away. My two daughters love the coach interaction on the ice. It's instant critiquing. No more do you remember in the third end, the fifth rock stuff. Not sure if I would embrace the coach moving around on the ice surface. And and I must confess, I led people astray with that. No, no coach is going to move around on the ice surface. The moving of this of the coach was from one end to the other so that they could be at the playing end. So thank you for that comment. And the last one that I'll share with you comes from my friend Gary Wilson. And this is what Gary has to say. Hi, Bill. <clears throat> I really enjoy listening to your podcast and have found them very interesting and helpful. Also gives me some thoughts for the upcoming year. Really like the one on the quiet eye and what was said by both you and your guest. But I would like to comment on the one where you talked about coaching while on the ice during the game. I was very interested in what was said by you and your guest on that podcast, and of course the guest was Dean Kleider. It brought memories of, of what I used to do when I did a program here in Kelowna several years ago called Buddy Curling. This was a program where we had a mix of curlers with disabilities and typical curlers. It was a way of introducing curlers to all those interested in curling from the schools. We had people that curled in the mix and those that didn't. We taught them the proper delivery, but we also helped them out in strategy during the game. It was exciting seeing them learn strategy and ask questions what they would should be calling and what I would do. They learned strategy and the thought process. We got them thinking, and over time, they remembered. Out of this group, I took four boys to the Provincials and Special Olympics, and you could see them remember strategy by the on-ice work we had done with them. So when you talked about coaching, being on the ice and working with them, they're on their teams and shots, etc., it brought back those memories. We really need to do more of it because that's the way they learn. Bill, anyways, I have found the podcast very interesting on all topics, and I know I'll be listening to them again as I prepare for the next year's curling. Well, thank you very much, Gary. And I just want to uh, have a shout out about working with Special Olympics athletes. If any of you have any opportunity to work with Special Olympic athletes, not just in curling, but in any other sport, please take advantage of that. Not only will you be helping those coaches who are already working with the Special Olympics athletes, what you will get from those athletes in return is just absolutely off the charts. I've never worked with a group of athletes that are, that are happier about their participation in the sport, whatever it happens to be. 
and the thank yous that you get from them just never stop. So, big shout out for Special Olympics. So, folks, that's it for today. Uh, again, uh, thanks for listening to this 25th uh, episode of A Pain in the Glass. And as my grandson Jacob said in his sign-off, uh, thank you, Canada Curling Stone. And folks, be safe. Hug those people that you love. And again, happy curling thoughts. So until next time, this is Bill Sherhart from Grand Bend, Ontario. And I'm going sailing today. I'll think about you as I'm on Lake Huron. Happy Memorial Day weekend once again to our friends of the